If you're somebody who's had some sort of injury in the past, and I'm pretty sure that is all of us, you're gonna wanna listen to this episode where we've got an incredible guest who is one of the best when it comes to physicians and medicine. And he's going to be shedding some light on how to deal with those old nagging injuries that seem to be poking their ugly little heads out as we go through the aging process. So stay tuned for The Aging Grace. Now, welcome to a very special episode of the Agent Grace podcast. My name is Andrew Blakey, your host, where today we've got one of the best in regards to the sports medicine and physicians side of health, who's going to be giving you advice for dealing with those old nagging injuries that seem to be poking those ugly little heads out as you go through the aging process and giving us all sorts of different issues now that we're starting to get a little bit older. So He's someone who's been working in medicine for the past 20-ish years. He's the current medical director of Higher Ground Health Club right here in Toronto. And he's done additional work with World Junior Hockey, the Toronto Raptors, the Buffalo Bills, IBL Baseball. It's a very extensive list, and we're very excited to have him here to shed some light on the injury and prevention side of aging. Welcome, Dr. Tim Rindlisbacher. Welcome, Dr. Tim. Thank you for having me, Andrew. This is awesome. Love it. So you started out your career doing physiotherapy, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Back in the 80s, I became a registered physiotherapist. I'm still registered because I believe that movement truly is medicine. I've been doing this a long time. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to, to health, how big is taking a proactive and deliberate approach to their health? How big does that play a role as people go through the aging process? Uh, sadly, uh, I think aging actually starts somewhere in your twenties. So it's interesting you say that because I, I think about aging as, as a lifelong event, it's continuous and all the way up to, um, the patients that my, my daughter sees, she's a geriatrician and she sees people, you know, over 85. And even in that population, there are good studies showing that there can be a training effect with very debilitated people who aren't moving much at all. So, you know, pick your, pick your decade. And you can show benefits to, to exercise. Right. And so going off of that, I think that in my experience as a personal trainer, I've seen that a lot of people wait till their 40s and their 50s before they start to really think about aging. So you mentioned that it, it starts when you're 20. So if there was somebody who's listening to the show right now and maybe they are in their 30s and 40s, what would you say to them in regards to, again, being proactive to their health as they, they approach that kind of almost like an aging threshold? Yeah, the analogy, of course, is the financial planning. What age do you start putting money away or thinking about your future and your retirement and that sort of thing? So you got to think about it the same way. Starting small, baby steps, finding things you enjoy to do regularly. Just It's like writing a book. You just got to start with page one. And you start in uh, uh, real tiny digestible bits of of exercise and then you build on it. Mm -hmm. And so when people get to their 50s and 60s, a lot of them have have probably had some sort of injury in the past. I think that going through life where we're going to get injured, we're going to we're going to hurt ourselves, we're going to roll our ankles, that sort of thing. So when it comes to how that affects you as you age, do you think that old injuries have an effect on somebody, not just in the moment, but also down the road? Yeah, they do. They do. I think that some of the best data we have is with respect to knee osteoarthritis and uh, ACL injuries. It's felt that with or without the reconstructive surgery element of it, just tearing your ACL as a younger person ages your knee by about 20 years. So if you would have got osteoarthritis at age 70 anyway, then you're going to get it now at 50. 
So that's a huge impact to, to your later years and enjoying a healthy, active lifestyle and inevitably help impacting retirement. Yeah. Wow. 20 years. 20 years. That's crazy. I've never heard that stat before. And it's something that I think people should probably remember that and, and keep that in mind because, and even with other injuries, it, it all plays a role somewhere in our life, either if not now, then down the road. So you, you did some work with World Juniors. We were just talking about that a little bit. And how does somebody who's in their 20s playing, playing hockey, playing whatever sport they're playing, if they get injured in their 20s versus somebody who's getting injured in their 50s, does that affect their recovery time as well in, in coming back from an injury? Yeah, these kids in the junior years are obviously not thinking about much about their future other than their immediate future and making pro hockey. But it does, their, their recovery certainly is, recovery capacity rather, is certainly higher than, than an older person. Uh, blood supply is better. Uh, they tend to be training better, eating better. Everything at that level is just so well taken care of that they, they do come back from injury qu quicker compared to some person who that's not their career. And so they don't tend to spend as much effort or time on it on injury recovery. Mm -hmm. Right. And when it comes to, to old injuries, I want to kind of get a little bit, a little bit sciencey here without going too, too deep into it. But so after, for example, a, an injury like a, an ankle sprain or something like that, you get the, the inflammation, but I think eventually, and correct me if I'm wrong, eventually it leads to stuff like, like scarring and scar tissue and that sort of stuff. Is that, is that along the right lines? For sure. Any tissue damage is going to be followed eventually by, um, you know, these little things called fibroblasts that are laying down, uh, collagen and, and other fibers that will help support that area again. Uh, that's how you bridge the, the gap of tearing something, uh, doing tissue damage. So yeah, whether you. I think it's probably not accurate to say older people build more scar tissue necessarily, uh, but they might build it differently and the elasticity is not quite there so that the scar is perhaps more stiff. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And so for somebody who, when they're getting injured in their twenties or early thirties, they've accumulated that scar tissue in a, in a little bit of a different way than somebody that's older. But for me, for me, myself, I had a bad, bad, bad ankle injury about maybe four or five years ago. I got at a, a, a high ankle sprain, mm -hmm. got all that swelling, got all the, the bruising and, and all of that. Is that something that I should, or somebody who's listening, if they've had something similar, is that something that they should be concerned about down the road as well? Yeah, I think it's, it's not that difficult to, to evaluate an ankle like yours in terms of looking for asymmetry, whether it's timing or strength or range, like if you've got a deficit of range, then you're, you can be proactive and try to figure out how to get that range back before you pursue a, a more aggressive exercise. Uh, and it depends on the sport too. Some sports, you know, you could do just fine with, with ankle trouble, like skiing. And for example, everything's kind of locked in there and may not make a big difference, but if you're doing other things, then yeah, I think you can, you can evaluate that and then move forward with a plan. Right. And. And so I had, I had a client mention he, he had a, a bad knee injury. I think it was something with ACL or, or something with one of the ligaments there. And, and now even, even today, 30, 40 years later, however many years it is, he wakes up with knee tightness every now and then. So what kind of, and I know this is a very general question, but what are some of the things that can cause somebody to 
you know, have an injury 20, 30 years ago. And now today would still be waking up with knee tightness or having that old injury or whatever happened to them still affect them years and years down the road. For sure. Yeah. If I continue with the ligament story that you've laid out, generally ligaments uh, provide support to the joint. If you tear that ligament, overstretch it, whichever term you want to use, uh, sprain it, then that joint will be more mobile unless you support it with muscle and sometimes bracing even. So in, in that case, if the joint is flopping around more and there's more sort of extraneous shear forces experienced by the joint, then it could swell and that will give you stiffness or the tissues just get kind of irritated again and again. And that can give you a sense of stiffness or ongoing, um, achiness, you know, that, that that's a classic kind of description mm -hmm. people will give after an, an old knee injury. Right. And so if somebody say, for example, they did have the, that injury done years ago, and now they're still waking up with it today, what are some things that they, or that you would recommend or, or tell them to, to do or, or focus on in today's moment in the present? Yeah, I would say, you know, do it right. You respect what you're, what, what you've got to, what you've been given and see an exercise uh, expert, a uh, professional to have it evaluated so that you're identifying those asymmetries. You can really test strength uh, relatively easily. Range is even more easy to test. Joint laxity, how mobile the joint is. Lots of functional movements, you know, functional things you can test. Get all that done right and then move forward with a plan to, um, to address those uh, deficits. Right. Gotcha. And so I want to change gears a little bit. And so there's, there's a book and it's called the body keeps score. And that talks a lot about mental traumas and how they, they follow people through life. So when it comes back to injuries and that sort of thing, do you, do you think that the body really remembers those, those old injuries and not just from kind of like a, a joint perspective, but with the fascia and, and all the, the different supporting parts of the body around whatever that injury was, does the body really does the body really keep score per se? Yeah. <laughs> Tissue, uh, PTSD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think there is some element of, uh, a layover, if you will, or, or hangover, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that the, the tissues can experience or logic is it something we really haven't talked about yet, but that ability, maybe a little bit of timing, but is how quickly you can, you know, wake up those tissues neurologically so that the muscles are firing. Ideally, you get good muscle firing patterns. The glutes is the classic one where the, they just don't, they don't seem to fire or they fire late. Therefore you have to bring other muscle groups in like your hamstrings. And so I think some, you know, there's some really good theories about, about neurologic timing. And that would be when you talk about that hangover of tissue from old injuries, that might be the most appropriate reference there. Right. And so by, by the firing, you, you just mean how that, that muscle is contracted and how that turn, that turns on and, and whether or not it's, it's turning on with the right timing at the right, at the right instance in kind of coordination with the other muscles around a, a certain joint or, or movement. That's right. In order to stabilize that joint, right? So you, you, if you want to think about your, uh, tennis swing, you need to have a, you need to be stable through your core and then through your spine and your shoulder girdle. And if you're trying to uh, do everything through your shoulder and through your wrist and your elbow, rather, that's not going to be an effective swing. That's the, the timing of those things needs to happen. And the, ultimately the, the contraction of the, of those groups, mm -hmm. those muscle groups. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and so a lot of the, 
a lot of the things that we've been talking about today so far have been a lot of acute injuries and particular instances. And so when you're working with a an older demographic, say somebody in their 50s, 60s, 70s, I'm assuming that you might be starting to see more, is it more chronic conditions as well? Absolutely. So life is a sport and we're all playing that sport. So as you get older, it's, as you kind of alluded to earlier, it's, you know, it's almost like you're, you're collecting baggage along the way, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you do pick up all these things and the burden becomes heavier and heavier. You have chronic wear and tear that happens literally in every part of your body. You've, there's loss of, loss of collagen, elasticity, some of the elastic fibers that keep you mobile, keep you loose. They start to change. There's something called sarcopenia, which is loss of muscle tissue that that seems to kick in after the fifth decade, in the fifth decade of life in particular. And so we're, yeah, we're all running against the wind at that stage and multiple problems tend to stack on each other. Then you get the, you know, apprehension, the, the mental apprehension about, well, I don't want to do that anymore because I'm, you know, I don't, I don't want to get injured. I, I don't trust myself or I don't trust the people around me and I, f- I feel at risk. And there is a bit of a, a, a tendency for a, a downward spiral. And you kind of have to fight it and be, be flexible, mentally flexible and think of strategic ways of how do you keep playing sport X or activity B and, and yeah, it's just a matter of of pushing yourself. Right. And it's interesting that you, that you mentioned that part about how it can kind of spiral off of, off of one another. And I just kind of want to give a a little bit, almost like a particular example, how when somebody has an injury, they, they start to gain weight and because they're not moving as much and then you know, put more weight on, on an injured joint or an injured part of the body. And perhaps it gets worse. Maybe it doesn't, I don't know. Um, but, but it, it's interesting how, how one thing can lead to another, which puts you in a worse position. And then you start having those kind of those mental thoughts of, okay, I'm going to wait, I'm going to, you know, push it off a little bit. And then next thing you know, you're, you're so much further off and, and away from, I mean, quote unquote, living a healthy life. than if you were to, like you said, not necessarily, you know, push through it if you're having pain and stuff, but push that mental thoughts of maybe I need to start pushing myself or doing stuff, like you said. So how does somebody who is in that thought process of waiting, waiting, what do you think would be the next step for them to start going in the right direction of living a healthy life? That's a very general question. Yeah, I know there are lots of examples of that, but you know, COVID-19 was a, was a generational example for us (laughs) of, you know, we couldn't get to fitness facilities. We couldn't do a number of activities. And people got out of the, got out of the habit, if you will, they gained weight, uh, they felt behind. So how do you get out of that? Uh, that is, that is a really good question. Um, <laughs> and I think again, it's like, it's, it's like the baby steps I, I referred to earlier. You got to take it in small bites. And if it's I'll just, you know, use hockey as an example, I hate to keep using it, but, uh, getting back to hockey is something you really want to do or think you want to do, then try some skating, you know, in, independently and do that for a few weeks or months even. And then, uh, so many different options and leagues and things like that. So it's just one example, but you can insert any sport there and, or activity and think about how to break that down into its components and, and feel more comfortable to get back in it. Cause it's going to be a lot harder to do it next year and the next year and the next year after that carpe diem for sure. <laughs> So you talked a little bit about how it gets harder and harder and by getting harder and harder, do you mean kind of as, as people start to, to get older and older, it's, it's harder to get back to that, that standard of living or that quality of life that not only that they want, but they, I guess, strive for. Yeah. I get, you get older the habits get more ingrained. 
the, you lose social contacts that wouldn't normally be there for you to encourage you or to join you in the sport activity. So yeah, multiple, multiple things would make it even more difficult one, two, and five years from today. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so I think that you've got a, you have a very uh, interesting perspective because as a, as a medical director at, at higher ground, which is a, a health club here in Toronto, you see all ranges of people, right? You see younger, you see older, you kind of see everywhere in between. So how do you kind of notice somebody when they're younger, they're moving more, they're more active. They're generally just, I don't want to say in better health, cause that's a very big generalization, but typically people, they always say the old quote, oh, I want to get back to where I was when I was 20. I want to get back to, to where I was when I was 30, right? Do you think that it's realistic for people in their 60s and in their 70s to strive for that? Or is it about reframing what your idea of health is and, and reframing kind of the mindset a little bit? What are your kind of thoughts on on that? Yeah, that's a tricky, that's mm -hmm. a tricky answer, of course, because <laughs> there may be some folly in thinking that, and you could, could be risky if you're thinking I'm going to do the same things that I was doing when I was 20. You know, you can think of a number of examples of things you just probably shouldn't be doing anymore. <laughs> but, but that being said, I, I can't tell you, I've had a lots and lots of patients in their forties, fifties, and maybe even their sixties who have said, this is the best shape I've ever been in my life. Mm -hmm. I think it's finding that groove and, and really finding the thing that, that motivates you to get out there on a chilly morning or a late night when you're tired after work and getting that exercise high and, and really enjoying doing something good for your health. Right. Right. And so what's your thing that you do that, that you enjoy doing kind of on a weekly basis? What do you do for your health? Oh, you're in good shape. Personally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess it's hockey uh, for me. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I've just always played in, since I was a little guy and, and, uh, it's really, a, I, I forget everything on the ice, right? Mm. It's, it's, and I think runners probably feel that sort of high. It's a classic example is running where you kind of forget, forget everything that's going on around you. And there's just, uh, just you're in the moment. Mm -hmm. It's so, your happy place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. It really is. And you, it's probably your body's happy place too. <laughs> so it's a, it's a mental and a physical plus. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I kind of want to kind of roll with that a little bit now. And I've had particular people who have said, I, I just don't like exercise. And my own belief on that is that perhaps they just haven't found the thing that, that they love or their physical activity that is their thing. So what are your thoughts on if if somebody doesn't enjoy exercise, how are other ways that, that they can implement it into their life? And, and when I say, if, if somebody says they don't enjoy exercise, I just mean if they don't enjoy working out or, or being in the gym, what kinds of things do you think somebody could start doing? Like you said, those baby steps to start improving their own health and their own fitness. What do those baby steps look like? Yeah, I think I don't enjoy being, you know, lifting weights in a gym, for example, and I, I understand that. But I think gyms, the, the larger ones now, especially have got such a wide variety of stuff that you can do. Some people don't like exercise and then they realize, wow, I actually, I actually kind of be, enjoy being around yoga in a yoga class and just stretching and being relaxed. Or, uh, there's something we have here called rope wall yoga, which is kind of interesting. You hang upside down in these yoga positions, perhaps not for everyone, but, um, there are just so many things now, exercise options that you, you don't, some of them, you don't know unless you don't, unless you try them. So knowing that you got to move for your health and for your mental well-being as well as physical, at some point you just gotta, I think you gotta try things and 
there are so many things outside of gyms too, of course, you can do that aren't really considered exercise, but they're still moving. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not hardcore exercise, but movement, any movement, the research is very clear now that any movement is better than no movement and more movement is better than less movement. In most, in most cases, there are some extreme examples that they start to see a little bit of the J, J curve falling off mm -hmm. where too much exercise is not good, but that's pretty rare. Mm -hmm. And probably something that the people listening to the show might probably hopefully don't have to worry about either, which is good. In 2008, there was, there was an article by the national post and it was titled prevention and preparation to prevent sports injuries. And there is a quote in there by yourself, and it was talking about when we look at primary versus secondary prevention for injuries. So before we get into kind of a little bit more of the nitty gritty on that, could you first talk about what primary versus secondary prevention for injuries actually is? Sure. So it's pretty simple distinction. Primary prevention is preventing an injury or an issue that you've never had. And secondary prevention is, okay, now you've got it or you've had it once, an ankle sprain, for example. How do you prevent that from happening again? And there are many iterations of that. So both are important, of course. And in high level sport, we really try to focus on primary because we don't want any, any, um, uh, confounding factor to limit this athlete's career. But for most of us, the rest of us, it's, it's being, being really in tune with the secondary prevention because you're. We're going to get issues as we get older things go as we move through life you're going to get uh, issues and you really don't want those things to be the thing that limits you or kicks you out of the sport completely i think secondary prevention is uh is equally or more important awesome awesome you know what we've covered a a lot of stuff today we've covered a lot of different topics and i think we've gotten pretty pretty deep on things but i guess I, what i have is is one last question and it's to if there was somebody at home listening, they're doing exercise, they're, they're doing walking, that sort of stuff. What would you say to somebody in their fifties and sixties in order to help them live a, not just a healthier life, but overcome those injuries for somebody who's on the fence about, about whether or not to go see a physio, whether or not to go do training, they, they just need to do more. What do you say to them? What, how do you help them with that? Yeah. I think if you don't necessarily have a big pain or an obvious injury, an obvious issue. I would take your walking to, to somewhere where there's stairs. As simple as that. If you look around the world, there are extremely healthy populations who are walking up hills uh, and they're not just walking. So walking is great. If you want to take it to the next level, then stairs would be the next thing. Most knees will accommodate that pretty, pretty well if you do it slowly. But if you have an issue, as I said before, the best way of moving forward is to have it evaluated properly by an exercise professional. There are lots of them out there who do good work and, and then just, as I said, carpe diem, like seize the moment. And really, if you feel that drive to do something, then do it and then try to build on it. Right. And if somebody wants to get assessed specifically by you, Dr. Tim, I know that I've just sent some of my own clients over your way. Cause you're, I'm, I'm very selective with who it is that I, I get to work with my clients, but I know that you do great work here. So how would somebody get in contact with you in order to, to get assessed or, or get a plan in place? Sure. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty simple. I have a capacity to see people. I like to make sure that I'm taking care of a lot of people. I I'm fully covered by OHIP. That's easy. I do not require a referral, a physician referral. It's just a matter of calling higher ground health clubs and, and setting up an appointment. Awesome. And I'll include that number in the show notes. So thanks Tim for joining us. Thank you for talking about how old injuries affect us as we age. 
And for anybody who's listening, get going, get moving, and start getting involved to start improving your health and your own approach with aging. So thanks, Dr. Tim. Thank you, Drew. Thank you so, so much for listening to today's episode on the Aging Grace podcast. If you found this episode to be useful, I would very much appreciate your support in the way of leaving a positive review on the streaming platform that you use to listen to the show. Rating our show basically allows us to be shared and more easily found by other listeners like you. So if you would be kindful enough to do that, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Have a fantastic week, and I'll see you next Sunday for the next episode. Don't forget, you've got this.